Hello, and welcome to another Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons, and this is the podcast that channels our passion for sharing what we're watching. And on Seen Anything Good Lately, you get recommendations from the best in the business as we find out what the professionals from the world of film, TV, books, and broadcasting are up to and looking at. I've really enjoyed Cobra Kai. But I thought I'd give it a go, and I binge-watched it, which is always a good sign. In two days, I was in. My guest on this episode, you heard a snippet of him there, is Johnny Owen. He's a filmmaker, actor, broadcaster, an all-round fine Welsh chap, married to the awesome actress Vicky McClure, and they are the loveliest couple in Nottingham. That's an official title, and they've won it three years running. Johnny made a great film about Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough called I Believe in Miracles, and he's followed that up with... With the Three Kings. It's a documentary about the three Scottish football managers, Bill Shankly, Matt Busby and Jock Steen, who as the giant bosses at Liverpool, Man United and Celtic, shaped the face of modern British and indeed world football. It's a really good documentary produced by the team that gave us Amy and Senna and Maradona. So we're in really capable cinematic hands here. Uh, We also find out that there's much more than footy to Johnny Owen and we'll hear all about it when I ask him if he's seen anything good lately. There's also a chance on this show to win a Halloween collection of movies, including The Curse of the Were-Rabbit from Aardman, courtesy of Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. So keep listening, as that's all to come right after I tell you what I've been watching. The Climb is a great new US indie, definitely worth a trip to the cinema. Go with your best male friend, your bro, because this is a dark comic twist on the bromance genre. Written by and starring and directed by its two leads, Michelangelo Covino and Kyle Marvin, both of whom I didn't know and who now burst onto the scene. A bit like, reminded me of John Favreau and Vince Vaughn in Swingers, uh, almost 25 years ago that was. Uh, Michael and Kyle played two lifelong best friends called Mike and Kyle and the film's opening scene is one of the best of the year with the two of them on a biking holiday in the south of France going up the hills in the Alpes Maritimes uh, and it's a one long tracking shot that doesn't break at all uh, and Mike is cycling alongside Kyle and he admits to him that he has slept with Kyle's fiance. Mike starts breaking away and puffing uphill. He's the better bike rider. So Kyle can't catch him to start a fight. <laughs> so that he kind of breaks away with him on the climb. That's why he tells him where he does it. So uh, it's very funny. It's also very symbolic of male friendship, all that rivalry and that frustration, that one-upmanship and all sorts of toxic shit you get between bros. Mike, I'm getting married. How awesome is that? Awesome. She's the best. She's like the best person ever. I don't have to change to be with her, you know? Remember how Marissa made me get that Rob Thomas haircut? And Tina made me be an atheist for a year? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Ava isn't like that. She loves me for who I am. And, and I love her for who she is. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. Kyle, I slept with Ava. What? What do you mean slept? Like we, slept, we sexually slept together. Uh, oh my god. I'm gonna fucking kill you. The climb is told in chapters and goes through weddings and funerals and Christmases and ski trips. Uh, and each time these friends are in a different spot. And it always seems that Mike's about to sort of screw up Kyle's life, even though Kyle's life doesn't really look like it's on the right track anyway. Listen, I thought it was 
some very impressive directorial sequences in there with one takes, great camera moves. It's the sort of film you get more with the Scandinavian filmmakers like Thomas Vinterberg or Ruben Ostlund. Um, but there's also a bit of Will Ferrell or John C. Riley in there. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise, The Climb. I wasn't expecting it to be so good. Uh, it's a really great example of the bromance genre and it introduces us to some fresh new voices in American indie cinema, in Lycra. And so now to Johnny Owen, the writer, broadcaster. You can hear him on TalkSport every Sunday morning. Uh, and he's a filmmaker, husband of Vicky McClure. That's a full-time job. She from This Is England and Line of Duty. He's just a top chap and creator of very fine football documentaries. He made one about uh, Brian Clough at Forest, I Believe in Miracles. He made one about the Welsh uh, football team's journey at Euro 2016. Uh, and he's now back with The Three Kings, an excellent film about Matt Busby, Bill Shankly and Jockstein. Three Scots, all born within a 30-mile radius of each other in Lanarkshire, who went on to create footballing dynasties. It's the only word you can have for them. Uh, at Manchester United, Liverpool and Celtic. Dynasties which lasted for years and they're still felt today wherever football is played around the world. It's a story of men, of teamwork, of belief, of grit and iron will and also it's got lots of social history about working Britain and it's held together with fabulous wise audio from leading football writers voices such as Richard Williams, Patrick Barclay and the great Scottish commentator Archie McPherson. There was a lot of talk about society being fractured. These three great men were educated in interdependence, community, and it bound them together in a way that people growing up today just would not understand. It was playing, it was for pride, and, and for the people, of course. Now it's uh, money, money, money. What is a football club but a community? The creations of Steen, Shankly and Busby became the good old days. Well, everything I've got about football, all to football, and the dedication and what I put into the game. You only get into, out of the game what you put into it. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent of my family suffered. Do you yeah. regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Oh, great old football voices and sounds there. But before we got down to the business of finding out what Johnny Owen and Vicky McClure have been watching, I asked Johnny about this great new film, The Three Kings, and what it was in the Lanarkshire water that made such extraordinary men. Yeah, well, it's interesting that um, Shankly and Steen never drank. They, weren't, they, they never drank a drop of alcohol in their lives, which is really interesting. Is that you'd expect them, because of where they were from, to have been sort of, you know, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't stereotype I know, but you would expect, but, especially yeah. at that time as well. But I suppose they were kind of abstemious, devout Scots in a way. They were. I mean, it's quite interesting. You had a non-conformist sort of, <laughs> yeah, serious Presbyterian Scot. I think, from what I understand, I mean, certainly with Shankly, he was just he was just a born athlete. He was obsessed with training and football. Steen loved his food. I know that a few of his friends sort of said that on interviews, but never drank. Matt Busby apparently liked a little sherry every now and then. And and, and when when they came to the office, the story goes the only time either of them ever drank. This is Steen and Shankly was when they were with Matt on their little sherry with him apparently. 
<laughs> it's a bit different to the uh, to the other guy you covered in your in your last film, Brian Clough, who liked a little bit more than that. Well, no, he did like a point. <laughs> <laughs> Three Kings is a super documentary, Johnny. A bit different to, your, your, I believe, in Miracles. Different sort of bounce to it. Different sort of timbre to it. Uh, did you did you bring sort of techniques that you'd learned in, I believe, in Miracles into Three Kings? I did. Yeah, I, I kind of um, I had a brilliant producer on this one, uh, James Gay Reese, of course, who did Amy and Senna. Yeah, and we talked a lot about things. Obviously, James comes very much from the school of you know using archive and, and just voices underneath which is Asif's way of doing things and, and we wanted to do that for this as well so we wanted to, wanted to bring the story to a new audience you need to you need to keep an 18 year old watching this yes what do, you, what do you have to do to make it look modern I think you cut it in a very specific way I mean obviously they didn't have the, the coverage they had now nothing like it you know but FA Cup finals were filmed you know they did have sort of a camera behind the goals mm. and, you know stuff you know so there was footage there I always talk to you about the music obviously and I believe in miracles you had that sort of wanted to use that rare groove kind of swagger yeah, yeah. that Clough brought to, to, to Nottingham. You say you got Richard Hawley to compose the, the the bits of score here, but you use a bit of jazz in places, you use some pop hits from the time. So how did yeah. you how did you come to decide, you know, what to use? I Feel Free, for example. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked, um, in the 60s especially, because of the explosion of music, I wanted to use... Sort of yeah, like, I mean, it would have been easy to just go, oh, here's Beatles, here's, you know, yeah, Jerry yeah, Marsden yeah. and all that. Exactly, so I wanted to use some stuff. Richard Hawley's stuff was really interesting to me because he'd written um, some stuff and I'd spoken to him about doing some stuff with me and I, and I really liked his album, you know, um, and, and I was a bit like, what do you think? And he, and he had some stems, basically, which is the way it works, it gives you stuff. And I was a bit like, I almost want... A psychedelic heavy metal really the sound of industry yeah. you know the, you know, the clang of a thing and that's what we use at the top the kind of that's where you get ominous sound and I even put the sound people were fantastic and we work really hard we've even put with some of Richard's music which is kind of almost like backward guitar and slightly distorted in the sound of crowds as well which give me the idea of people leaving the docks or coming up from a pit and there's clangs in there and all that kind of stuff so we kind of work really hard to work that kind of stuff in it's fantastic to see uh, in your film The Three Kings you know how it how it was as well and it yeah. just just at the edge of my consciousness as well it's like another history doc but it's so much more fun than that Johnny so congratulations on that I'm, I'm going to ask you what you've been what you've been watching I don't know if you were studying anything to get in the mood for that if you've been watching some football so, so Johnny Owens have you seen anything I've, good lately I've been watching um, I've been watching obviously like everybody else on the planet a lot of Netflix and Amazon I um, I, I quite enjoyed but I know me and you spoke about it uh, I enjoyed sort of the, the hermetically sealed as it goes a great line the hermetically sealed Spurs all or nothing document. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like an airport it was brilliant described that I never realised how manic you were the lawns were until I went back to it and see what you said it's like really strange this almost like spaceships landed in that part of North London which but Mourinho was a star there's not two ways about it it was very very Weird, 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 though, since we spoke about the, the, the all or nothing, that, yes, they've got Mourinho, the big star, but, of course, they've missed the big story. They've, they've still signed Gareth Bale, so he doesn't even make it into that documentary, and he could be the difference. <laughs> I think he's the best Welsh player ever. No, that's my argument. What, better and, than Giggs? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think he's better than uh, John Charles. John Charles. Is, but I do think that we're living in a golden era for Welsh football. Um, Happy to do that. So, <laughs> so what have you been watching? What what, what have you seen? I watched the, car, the Chicago 7. It was very good. The um, trial of the Chicago 7, or yeah, on Netflix, yeah. the Aaron Sorkin yeah. uh, thing. It was good, good, wasn't it? I enjoyed that very much. It's sad ending. I don't want to give the ending away, but you know what happened to Abby Hoffman and those kind of... I never realised that, you know what I mean? That they kind of, you know... Because they had such an important, pivotal moment in, in American history, the Chicago Convention of 1968. It's become such a big moment there. And I never realised what happened to them, you know, sort of... Um, Tom Hayden obviously does the best, but I never realised that. And I, I kind of like to think I'm up on American, certainly American yeah. 60s history. But it was quite quite poignant, really, that they, they were kind of where they ended it all, all up. But I really enjoyed, I re, I, I've really enjoyed Cobra Kai. 
I, see, I, mean, I haven't seen Cobra Kai, and I think I, I think I'm it. missing something, Johnny. What? Tell me about Cobra Kai. It's something to do with the Karate Kid, right? Well, basically, it's it's it's, it's the Karate Kid character, main characters now. Uh, how many years later it would be? I suppose maybe thirty years later. And I was exactly like you. I was a bit like, nah, it's not for me. Really. I, I I watched the, the old Karate Kid. Nah, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I was, but I don't, I don't want to go back there with it because it was brilliantly done, and, you know. And so I, but I thought I'll give it a go, and I binge watched it, which is always a good sign. In two days, I was in because what they do is the original bad character Johnny in the first thing. I don't know how, how true this, but somebody told me there was a thing on YouTube which has been knocking around for about a decade where actually they say Dan was the bad guy, and they show you the reasons why actually Dan was the bad guy. So anyway, I kind of, they, I think they took that as the kernel of the idea and then did the whole series, but they do it from Johnny's viewpoint. And it's brilliant because he's kind of like a, he's a single bloke. He's not kind of done particularly well. And he's, so he's old and, now. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Larusso has become really successful, and he's got the, but he's got spoiled children. Larusso has the eternal battle of him doing really well, but his children are oh. spoiled. And it's really kind. Of, but Johnny, in the meantime, is you know done this. But he tries to help a local kid, and but so there's all this thing, and then they start meeting again, and they still got the old rivalries. And but it's. What I love about it is the tongue is it's so tongue in cheek and it deals in nostalgia. And as the great saying goes, nothing sells an art like nostalgia. I get that. So it taps into something where, you know, you go, oh, that kind of, he sounds like me. Yeah, every so often you'll say, you know, say something, I'll go, oh, he sounds like me. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, he's rubbish with his, a bit like we were saying, rubbish with technology and go, oh, I don't know, why can't I just. So there's things in there where you just go, oh, that kind of, and they've really struck a chord. Uh, and I think it's been hugely successful. But I would highly recommend it. There's pastiches to and references to 80s uh, movies and things all the way through it. Really cleverly. I've got, go, I've got to see this. I, this is, I, and I think it. I can see this with the kids as well. They, they have watched the original Karate Kids, so I think they will. They will get this. Yeah. Co- Cobra Kai. It. You know what? You, you've tipped it for me. Some of these we come on the show and people say this, and I go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably not going to watch <laughs> that. But a lot of times people recommend stuff to you, and you go, Yeah. And we decide yeah. early on that we're. Oh, I'm, not, I'm still not going to see it. But, <laughs> but Cobra Kai uh, yeah. from you, Johnny. I'm going to take that. Uh, so that's a good one. Are you? Are you one of those that you, you, you and uh, and your missus? You sit about. You sit. You say to Vicky, "Well, we're going to watch this," and she goes, "No, I want to watch something else." Uh, yeah. So you watch that on your own upstairs, and yes. I will watch this down here. How does that that's work? Exactly, that's exactly it. We kind of like we got two rooms, and she goes, "Oh, go off and watch." I'm, I'm watching the Comey rule now, which is very, very good. Brendan Gleeson as, as Trump, absolutely brilliant. Is that good? Um, I think he's a bit good. too close to the, bit too close to oh, it, to now. Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it, and it's, you just go, obviously because they, they can talk now about when he was first elected and, and mention things. There's a, there's a, a moment in it where you just go, wow, where they go, but what will it mean if he's elected? And they go, well, look, you know, he's got very close advisors. You know, it's, it's a very different thing than when you're running a government. And we're pretty sure that it won't go too mad. And they go, but what's the worst case? There's the head of the FBI and the CIA. They go, well, what's the worst case scenario? He goes, well, the worst case scenario would be trade war with China, uh, you know, getting a conservative on the Supreme Court, stoking racial tensions, uh, you know, but they're going, but that, you know, that's the worst case scenario. And of course, you're watching it going, that's everything that's happened. That's yeah. everything that's happened. And they're talking about it. These the upper echelon. So it's really clever that they've done it. In the, and they're not being judgmental because he's things have happened and they go in this is the worst but you know we kind of think that his people can keep him on an even keel but then when you meet his people it's a, it's a very so is it a satire thing. is it what, what do you think it's got no, it's you, a great drama it's, it's, it's not there to ridicule trump in a way no, or, which no. is that's unusual isn't it because i mean yeah. usually you'll have the you know things to like it will be alec baldwin taking the mickey uh at trump which is which is which is so beyond now in terms yeah. of the satire that you do we had tim robbins yeah. on the show last week he's done a satire of this trump this this, this kind of uh you know and it, it, i was just saying to him how difficult it is to lampoon trump he, he, he's bigger yeah. than any lampoon you can do somehow. 
I know. I mean, I th it's quite interesting because they brought back Spigot Image, um, and a mate of mine, Matt Ford, works on it. He does a brilliant. He does the voice of Trump, and he does the voice of. Oh, does that Matt Trump. Ford doing Trump? Okay. Yeah, 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 great lad. And he, and he, and he says to me, they have too. We have too much material. Is the problem exactly as you said? You're almost having to, to cram it all in. And he, they, but they picked up on this brilliant thing where he calls coronavirus Coroni. You know, like like as if he knows it. Me and Coroni. <laughs> coronavirus going out. But he said to me, it's it's almost as if every week we go in and there's almost too much material. Exactly as you said, for satire. That's the irony, you know. But yeah, the, uh, call me straight. It's a straight drama, and it basically comes from the story. Do you know, he was the head of the FBI that had to release the the email story yeah. about Hillary Clinton. And, but he has a real dilemma because his wife and his children uh, are going to don't do it because he could get elected in the back of this. And, and you know, you've got to think of America. And he's going, but by law, I have to because she didn't. But they're going to affect the election. So it's his, the story is about his moral dilemma of having to release the information about the, the emails. And of course, it comes back to bite him. And as it goes through, you're getting more and more. He's getting having more and more meetings with Trump and his advisors and Trump's advisors are going, you can't really meet the, the head of the FBI on his own. It's meant to be independent. Trump keeps asking him around. Come round for dinner, and he keeps going. I can't really. Oh, I see. So we got a little sort of Frost Nixon kind of two yes, hand two hander thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two magnificent actors, and, and 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 sometimes fifteen twenty minutes of just the two of them talking, you know, at each other over over a dinner table. It's really really good. It's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Spitting Image because I haven't seen the new one because I basically couldn't work out where it was. It's on BritBox or something. BritBox. Yeah. It's have on you... ITV. It's on ITV this weekend. Oh, oh, okay. Have you got BritBox? I, no, I haven't. I get it. I get it sent to me. Ah, oh, I see. <laughs> and tell um, me, tell me, yeah. when when Line of Duty's on, do do you have viewing parties? Do you, do you are you allowed to watch it? As Vicky said, don't you you have to go upstairs and watch that? I don't want to watch it, or do you do that? You know, the first episode we watch it in the living room together, and then we just do it, and it's brilliant because I say this to everybody. I have got the best person sitting next to me because I can pause it and go, right, what's happened there, and why is he there? And she'd go, well, do you remember in series one and episode? Well, yes. Oh, she actually then, tells you. Does she not just oh, say yes, shut she... up and? No, no, she would fill it in. I go, brilliant, yes. So I've got the, probably the best person. I've got like my own sort of like, I don't know, series Bible sitting next to me, sort of like explaining all the situations to me. So it's uh, it's been fantastic. And let, I know, the series has been a, it's been a phenomenon, really, isn't it? It's, it's probably the, the event television of the last 10 years in a, in a drama sense. I, I, each time it's like, well, they've done it again and they've got yeah. everyone talking again and how are they going to do it? And I know Jed does it brilliantly, but, you know, they they, they just do it. And she's, oh, you know, you know, you know what pleasure it is for me to see her being so fantastic. I've done, done great. And to, to, I'm, I'm, the choice of uh, the Jed, I think, is, is you know, it's, it's not want to use the word Luke, but he's a genius. I mean, he's a lovely man, but he's been very clever what he's done, and he's and he's always thinking. But the casting was the clever thing because Vicky came from a, like sort of almost like an independent sort of film channel four thing. Then Martin Compton was the same. You know, well, I remember him from Sweet Sixteen in Cannes, yeah, and he was you no, know, he was playing Phil yeah. Kilmartin. Oh, he was playing Grenock. Grenock. Yeah, and he was like, and oh, they, should I give it up? I was like, well, you're quite good at this acting, lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you got Lady Dunbar was kind of seen as this kind of Irish actor, and in the first series done a few scenes and then people now this is very good and then them three together was just inspired because it just works and they've become very very close off screen and i think you can tell that haven't they just screen. done a goggle box the three of them. yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> it's very good even done by definitely the straight man in, in the three right uh, because you know what it's like to watch uh telly with vicky presumably yes i do <laughs> yes literally. i mean i just i just think yeah i just think like these uh it's like I said, every year it just it just it, it keeps surprising us and keep, it keeps it interesting and uh, yeah I mean I, I don't know what he's going to do I don't when he's going to reveal H what happens then but you, I'm no doubt you go out you can't ask her that you don't want to no, ruin it I've never done that no I wouldn't go there <laughs> <laughs> what about <laughs> films do you watch films together or do you or, or, does she, or are there ones that she says well I'm watching this for me and you can go upstairs and watch your yeah, boys I mean, films I, up there I tend to watch. Um, 
I tend to watch a lot of Netflix. I watch a lot, lot watch a lot of Amazon, um, that kind of thing. So I'm on I'm on the streaming services. I think that the, the the term is. Uh, she kind of I haven't seen her for about two and a half months. Bless her, because she's been in Belfast filming. Yeah. And in a bubble. So bless her. So she's been over there. So I don't know how much television she's watching at the moment because of lines and all the rest of it. I'm the one that's kind of having to be, be able to watch series after series, and it's fine. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm happy with that. I watched a <laughs> lot against America. It was brilliant. Um, there's so much good stuff on stuff like Sky Atlantic. Um, there was a reboot of um, Gamora, which is called uh, La Mortal. Which is yes, a story of- well, I haven't seen that one, but uh, I liked Gamora, the, the series itself. Yeah, the I love the film, of course. Yeah, yeah, and the series is almost like, a bit like This Is England, was the series even better? You know, it, it just, it moved in a different way, and I thought that was that was really interesting. So I watched a lot of that. I watched all of Mad Men again over the lockdown. All of it? Ten, that's ten yeah. seasons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot it, of hours. It, it's my favourite of all the sort of... The, the the big tellies, you know, from the Sopranos and the Wire, and the Madman's my favourite. And me, it's my favourite all it? time. I, I just think everything about the, the attention to detail, the sets, the characters, the way they and and, and you know we were talking you were talking about earlier on, you know, when you move with social history as well and with such a keen eye to it, I think that's fantastic. So there were moments in Mad Men where you just go, well, that's unbelievable writing. Like where there's a great line that I always remember where Kennedy, the Kennedy Nixon elections happening. I think was it that 1960, that kind of period, and he closes in the in the polls dramatically overnight, and they're all they're, they're Republicans, aren't they? And, yeah. and he kind of says, what's happened? How did it happen? And somebody just goes, ah, Sinatra came out for Kennedy. This is such a brilliant line because the power of Sinatra in America at that time, Sinatra saying, I'm, I'm supporting Kennedy, meant millions of people across America were now going to vote for Kennedy. And I just, just think the attention to detail, the stuff like Viner did, like the sound of more and more police cars in the background as New York is degenerating during the 60s. They started having much more, so, more social problems where Peggy moves to the flat. Yes. And the areas of Manhattan become rougher. Somebody gets attacked. I was a bit like... And the black so secretary with the NACCP, which I thought yes. was really interesting, yeah. Brilliant. I I Brilliant. thought it was I and the styling of it was great and and then you've got him at the centre of it all you know such a such I know. a character one of the one of the great one of the great characters if not the greatest character ever and I mean you know and you'd forgive him so much as well which was unbelievable really because he was a he was a swine but it was the time you know the way he lived in the time and you know then he gets a French word and and of course what the the other thing they're doing is which is what the record companies did and the film companies the slow move to LA is happening in the mid sixties and it's affecting the advertising industry so the office over there and they start and say well we think California could be the next place because we all know now California and LA became you know the, the great rival to New York but certainly in the 80s and 90s yeah and it got and, they, and the sun that was coming in and the, the, yes, oh, the no, different light terrific 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 uh, series all along Kennedy nouveau riche recent immigrant who bought his way into Harvard and now he's well-bred great Nixon is from nothing self-made man the abe lincoln of california who was vice president of the united states six years after getting out of the navy kennedy i see a silver spoon nixon i see myself if we were to run a critical ad there are obvious benefits when you run an ad that's positive you're only convincing the people who are already voting for you but when you run an ad that's critical you get a shot at the people on the fence there are a lot of people on the fence gentlemen whether the nixon campaign wants it or not we have to produce a spot that aims a howitzer at kennedy's balls i want to hear ideas after the long weekend. I agree. Let's go down swinging. If we can switch to a conversation about paying clients, Menkins is coming in today to sign off on the rollout, father and daughter. I get the feeling old Abe Schmenken can kill this whole thing. Of course, the checks have cleared already, but... Don, I want you to go in and ride bareback over Paul here. Don. And, uh, Don, I want you on your best behavior. Excuse me? 
And they know she bothers you. What about movies? If I was to take you back, like you, you, you like a bit of nostalgia, Johnny. We've established that. Uh, take you back to the to the, the 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 first movie you ever saw. Do you remember that? The first movie I went to the cinema to see, which had a profound effect, and it was obviously Star Wars. I think I was six or seven. Mm-hmm. To the to the point where, and that's a family joke, and it's very funny. But I was just I insisted on being called Luke. So if my mother had to shout me for food, she'd go, Johnny, and I wouldn't come. She had to go, Luke, and I'd not come because I was Luke Skywalker. So I mean, it was like I was obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was quite well known amongst my mates because I went to see it three times in the first week it was out. This is in the 70s. My grandfather took me the second week and then a family friend took me. So I went to see it three times because you could only see things in the cinemas then. So I had a very sort of visual effect on me that I loved films. But I was very lucky in that my father uh, and my grandfather were huge movie fans, especially my grandfather. He was born in the in the in 1915, so he caught the he caught Hollywood and, and everything smack in the mouth in mid 20s to 30s. So he went to the cinema all the time, three four times a week. That was where so, they had to go, wasn't it, for the for their yeah. information, for their entertainment. There's no telly at home. It was like listening to the wireless. That was the, the community went to the cinema in their droves. In their droves, and so I I kind of I became very aware of names. So like Charles Lawton, for argument's sake, you know, actors. I became very aware of. So I watched the first Mutiny on the Bounty because BBC Two would repeat films and my grandfather would watch them, you know. And I remember like on Moonlight Bay with Doris Day watching that and really enjoying that. Would he be like, come on, Johnny, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. Oh, I love Doris Day, you know. Yeah, yeah, he would. And he'd sort of say, oh, this actor's this and that, you know. And my father was a big fan of Houston and and all that. And and he loved Westerns. And my my grandfather was much more sort of like, you know, of of the traditional sort of Hollywood epics. He loved Capra. You know, he Mm -hmm. said, you've got to watch this film. You know, it's a wonderful life. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. So I watched all them as a kid. But then where I got really lucky was they they loved the godfather and they loved sort of uh, the scorsese stuff and all that raging bull was on and that was when videotape started coming out so i was able to watch them over and over on on videotape you know so i was very lucky and i had a, a great sort of upbringing I, I always remember tarantino said a wonderful thing once they said them you didn't go to film school quentin did you and he went no i went to films i thought <laughs> what a great response that was you know you watched films but you know? it takes it takes the enthusiasm of the amateur like your dad and your grandfather to, to infect you with that and then they go, come on come on you've got to watch this you'll love it uh, and yeah. you could either take against it and kind of go no that's all black and white it's all rubbish or you can kind of go oh my god you're right you know jimmy stewart is an amazing actor even though the acting is is not of your era do you know what i mean if you compare him to yeah. the de niro's of pacinos that naturalism that they've gone through but they're still amazing actors and you, to, to appreciate that it, it is to to swallow the kind of enthusiasm of the previous generation that's as much as important as a, a as any film school theorist can do. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I think it's really interesting because obviously, as I've read about it since, when I watched It's a Wonderful Life first, I always remember my father saying to me, "Watch when he prays. Watch when he prays." He said he really, you know, he, he really means it. And uh, and I was watching it as a kid, and of course, when somebody says that to was older, you're like, "Wow, you know, he's he's really praying there, Stuart." And then years later, I watched a, an interview with Capra, and they say he says this great thing. He said, "Our oh, life's all about moments." He said, oh, "I can distill everything in my career into a moment. If I can create a moment." I've done it. And they went, did you do it, Frank? And it might, have, it might even have been partners. And he goes, yes. And he said, what's your moment? And he went, when Jimmy Stewart prays in It's a Wonderful Life, that's my moment. I, I did it all there in that moment. And he says, one take, because Jimmy said to me, you'll have to do this in one take. And I'm doing it. And he said to me, he was praying there. He was, he was really praying. And I was a bit like, my old man in Merthyr Tidville had seen that and gone, this is the bit, this is the bit. And I thought, isn't it amazing how much art can translate into ordinary people's lives? Where, Because he's doing something that's honest. And truthful and from his heart and he means it and then there, there it goes thousands of miles away to, to Murphy Tidwell and even my father watching goes he's praying there it's great you know sort of thing I always remember so your father knew he knew he knew what cinema could do he knew about the moment you know yeah. well, is there a film is there a film Johnny that, that you could say changed your life I, yes Quadrophenia I love Quadrophenia it's the film I've watched the most 
I still think it's I th- Night Fever is a fantastic film, isn't it? It's one of those films. God, this gets better as well as you get. Oh, you know, it gets New York in, in the late seventies. Well, I think the first time you watch it, you think, oh, the music's great and the light up yes. dance great. And the second time you watch it, or third, you, the older you get, you go, oh my god, it's gritty. This film is tough. Oh, I know it's dark, and, and just to be, I mean, the start of that film is a is a cold, grey day with the the, the, the the red flashes of neon. So you go, all right, that's the night. And it's got it's got the the, the U train I think is uh, of uh, the E train the elevated mm-hmm. train called it just going to, to Brooklyn and then the music starts and New York looks concrete and grey oh, and it's dark corrupt and broken yeah, yeah. broken but this guy is going still I think we mentioned earlier on I live for the weekends it's only on my weekend I'm all right you know and that that was a film and the film was based I believe on Nick Cohn's article about the mods of Shepherd's Bush in the early early sixties wasn't it that's right. Which, which was the basis then for Quadrophenia, which was obviously the story of the Who of Shepherds Bush Band and all the rest of it. And I, I, I was lucky enough to interview Phil Daniels the other day, and, and bless him. I mean, I mean, he did laugh. I said, I must be the millionth person to say, uh, you know, you changed my life for that film. And he went, it's about three million now. It's like a whole generation of men come up and go, you changed my life. Because I remember watching it on VHS. And it was kind of that long after it came out but he did see me it wasn't a particularly big hit at the cinema it was on vhs that it did really really well and um i still think that as as a snapshot of what it's like to be 18 or 19 even now they got it pretty much bang on again you live for the weekend your kicks your clothes you know the drugs the, the motorways and again that captures london in the late 70s i know it's meant to be met, met set in the city but that seems to capture london in the late 70s perfectly it does. I mean, it's an extraordinary, you know, and, and the cast is amazing in it, and the the, oh. the the clobber, and I suppose it's an attitude as well. Amazing to think that Frank Rodham, who directed it, now uh, now is sitting there fat on the uh, on the Master Chef because uh, he yeah. invented Master Chef. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I know. I mean, I just and I think the the performance as well. It's very interesting to me because sometimes we 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 quite rightly you know get obsessed with America when it comes to cinema, and you know why not? What they did in the twentieth century was extraordinary, and 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 you know the, the kind of the whole method and, and what happened and what grew out in America, and then what came with Pacino and De Niro. But they did that in Quadrophenia. I mean, they gave them scooters. Those London actors, he said, were all sort of come out the workshops of of, of where you live now, uh, and and were were. were that's Absolutely. right, and a share yeah. school and all that's of that. Right. Yeah. That's right. So we're obsessed with being real. So we were kind of doing a, a similar thing in, I don't know, Scum was made and, and that. And, and those actors, like I said, like Ray Winston, have gone to have incredible, stellar careers. And there's a reason for that, is because they were exceptional, you know. So I think it was kind of like almost a British version of that. And just coming back to Saturday Night Fever, Travolta's performance in that is stunning. It's this incredible performance. I mean, he's amazing in it. Not just the dancing and everything else, but you believe but he's a guy that works in a paint shop in yeah, Brooklyn. You absolutely. Know, and, and that's one of those things we were talking about, the the, the, the the Hollywood moguls and the Malcolm Gladwell thing you were talking about. Amazing to think about the that little generation there. That Yes, Quadrafina, but you, you, you think about the Tim Roths and your Gary yeah. Oldmans uh, and your Ray Winstons that came out of that similar time, that similar sort of dearth of British film that suddenly was exploding when you had uh, you, you suddenly had the, a bit of realism on the telly and you had your Made in Britain. So there, there is a sort of growth there. You know, I suppose David Thewlis is, is in that a bit as well. So that yeah. generation suddenly come up together. All become And all become worldwide stars, you know, on the back of that. And I, I watched Made in Britain again, so again, it's extraordinary uh, performance. And I read recently, I don't know how true it is, but Tim Roth, he never, he's never auditioned since. Everything he does, he says, that's what I do. I'm not going to be an audition, which I love. I if it's true, I hope it's true. It's a great thing for actors to hear because everybody has to audition. Even even now, like you're getting up like Vicky said, they ask to audition me. And, but I love the fact Tim Roth, straight from that, went, well, you know what I can do. Either you cast me or you don't. Bless him. <laughs> 
<laughs> Rather brilliant, isn't he? And I think Tin Star is about to come back onto the, the, the yeah, telly in Liverpool, uh, the, the, the new series. Is there is a it? film, Johnny, that you fell in love yeah. to or in, fell in love with? You mean as in fell in love with as in... Like, yeah, interpret, somebody... interpret the question as you will, because I can't be bothered to <laughs> particularly precise it. But it's like, you know, you go, they fell in love to it or with someone because of it. Well, obviously, I did the film Spengali, which was I was in, and I fell in love with Vicky while filming it. And is that where you met? You, yeah, 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 on set. So that's that's probably. But we did watch um, Stand by Me together, and I love that film. Oh. I think I think it's film, and it's one of her favorite films. And that's a film that kind of um, cemented the love, really. Stand by Me, and we watch it, funny enough, every Christmas together. <laughs> we always watch it because you can, it's one of those films you can watch over and over. And again, it just captures mid fifties America perfectly you know you just you're there you straight away as soon as it starts you go well i'm i'm, I'm in mid 50s america with these kids here everything about it is so perfectly done beautiful i, I think it's one of the, the great films about childhood one of the great films about oh. memory it's got the oh. boom boom oh. boom you know the great yeah, soundtrack the way shot the wide shots of america as, as we see america you know them walking on the train track you know yeah. they, they sneak out for a night of what you want to do when you're a kid with your mates Everything about it is like you just you go. It's, it's an exercise, and you go. Oh yeah, I remember that. I and I think it was one of the first films that I re- that I've got the framing device for. I don't know how old it was when I saw it in the cinema, but when when it it come, you, you've forgotten that it's Richard Dreyfus who's narrating it in a way. And yeah. Sort of at the end, it comes back, and he's sort of, you know the summer was never the same since, and you're like, oh my god, it's a story telling yeah. film you can do that and i'd forgotten i think that was the first time i'd really realized that you can frame a movie that way i was it was I said it was beautifully done it was uh, and it's what's interesting is i remember that um reading as well it was a stephen king short novella and i read i read i read it after that as well uh and the novella is quite is even darker than the film it's called the it's, body it's, isn't it i think they... yeah the body is called and there's moments that are in the woods and they can hear a woman screaming and you read it going but i mean but they did capture um something about something more than the book even which is very rare with the film in, in they capture the essence of childhood as you said uh you know just the the, the, the name calling and finding ways of making saying more disgusting things about your mother and all just all those oh and the worship things. of that of the of the the, the charismatic hand some boy because you know, the, the, the skinny kid is telling the story and he's obviously like yeah. completely enthralled to the the, the, the yeah. charisma of river phoenix who's just extraordinary yeah. uh, extraordinary oh, in it amazing and and, and uh, really interesting things when you watch it back more and more john kuzak plays his older brother who famously you know he dies in a car crash in it and i forgot about the bit where when i watched it as a kid the mother or the father turns to him and said it should have been you you know this is how he felt and my mother gasped <gasps> You know, what a thing to say to a child. Do you know what I mean? Well, I forgot about those moments in the film, you know, where he's having to cope with his brother who's died and his mother and father who were, you know, obviously emotionally shell-shocked because of it. And he has to find love some and he finds it with his friends and he finds it with the River Phoenix character. You know, it's a, it's a great, great film. And that's, that's the film that we kind of, yeah, we fell in love with and fell in love too, I suppose. Brilliant. That is a fabulous story and a fantastic place to leave it because uh, I'm going to have to leave you there. And and I'm sure you want to get Vicky back from, from her Belfast bubble of filming so you can actually cuddle up on the sofa and watch something nice in this watch little lockdown time. Yes. Will she watch <laughs> The Three Kings? Has she, has she seen your film yet? She has. She's been brilliant. She, she kind of, um, she watches everything I do uh, right the way through. It gives me notes and she's great because they're football films, football docs. I'm always very careful of going, you know, do you 
is this something that will keep you entertained and all that and she's brilliant and she tells me when it's getting boring and I'm being too footbally yeah well I think you did I think you steered away from it really I, honestly I, I loved the film it was brilliant talking about that with you brilliant talking about what you're watching uh, as well and, and what you've seen good lately you're brilliant guest Johnny Owen thank you so much right. indeed really lovely to see you send our love to Vicky and uh, we'll have to get her on the show if she's Definitely. not goggle boxed out by then uh, a bit later <laughs> in the year no, uh, good luck so where's the, fil- the film's out you, you, you're in cinemas the first of November yeah. you're, you're you're there. Sunday it's out. I mean, it's amazing that it's got out. I, I kind of like resigned really myself. I was fine with it. Maybe, you know, I, I believe it's on Amazon. It's going to come on Amazon and DVD, but I was a bit like, I don't know what's going to happen with cinemas, but they've managed to get it into a, a fair few screens, which is brilliant. And it's already sold out in Scotland, the early showings, which is amazing, really. So, you know, if it's out for a week or two, I'm very happy with that. And, you know, and if you want to go and see it on the big screen, they can. Brilliant. Well, it's definitely worth doing it. And it has got that big screen sensibility to it. So, uh, Johnny, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to see you. Thanks, Jason. Cheers. Johnny Owen there. The film The Three Kings is out now to see in the cinemas so go you may have noticed that i've only trailed one guest this week that's because we've only got one guest but not only one i just thought johnny was so good and that spoke so eloquently about the films that made him uh, that we should give him his full full breadth to explore here on seen anything good lately and that's going to be the pattern from now on i know you regulars may be disappointed but i think we get deeper into the films and the TV shows and the viewing history of our guests that way. So we'll give them a bit of room. If they've got the time, then so have we, no? So I hope that's okay. I'd love to know what you think, though. You can go to the reviews sections uh, on Apple, for example. Uh, your feedback really helps me make the best show possible for us because we are all in this together in some way in this podcasting world. It helps to know uh, what you think. It helps others know where we are and how to find us. So we can all dig into the passion we've got for sharing and watching uh, and telling everyone how enthusiastic we are about what we're watching and telling them that they must watch it too so they can be on the same vibe. That's the whole point of seeing anything good lately. So let me know whose recommendations you've taken up that you've heard on the show. And if you like the show on those reviews and ratings, I'd, I really love hearing from you, honestly. Like this from Pie Guy, who I must admit, I quite like the sound of him or her. <laughs> I presume it's him. So, Pie Guy, he says, It's a smorgasbord of recommendations, all wrapped up in banter and insight. My favourite new discovery. Oh, that's made my week, Pie Guy. Thank you very much. That's what we're after. So, because of that, we'll keep the banter and the insights going. From Pie Guy, thank you very much. What is your favourite pie? I'm thinking steak and ale. That's why I, I, I get the feeling for you. I quite like chicken and mushroom myself. Anyway, just time to let you know if I've seen anything else good lately. I always look forward to a new film by François Ozon. He did Swimming Pool and Eight Women and Potiche and In the House. Um, He's prolific, to be honest with you. And now comes Summer of 85. Été 85 in French. Uh, It's in cinemas and on Curzon Home Cinema right now. It's a summer seaside coming-of-age gay love story set in 1985. If you ever saw François' short film, Robe d'été, Summer Dress, you know how good he is at capturing the giddy heat of first love. And the opening half of this film is reassuringly great at it again. Uh, There's the Cure and Bananarama on the soundtrack, Days at the Beach, Sailing in Little Boats, Motorbike Rides and Hot Afternoons in the Bedroom with doses of humour, but there's always an undercurrent of dark threat, like you get in many of 
Ozon's films. And like, like you get, I suppose, in the treacherous Atlantic waters. The two boys, uh, played by Benjamin Voisin and Félix Lefebvre, they're terrific. There's an English au pair who pops up between them, Philippine Velge. Uh, and it was also good to see Ozon players like Valérie Bruni Tedeschi and Melville Poupeau, who are playing adult roles. She's the sort of caring yet heartbroken mother, and he's a one of the creepy, sweaty, balding literature teacher. There's passion, and it turns into a rage of troubles. And you know this from the start, as the film it does unravel a little bit. I suppose the beginning's not quite where I thought it was heading. It goes to the fears to the rocks a little bit, but in moments it's just great. And you remember how happy you are to immerse yourself for however long it is in the film world of Francois Ozon. For a family treat, there's Wolf Walkers from the Irish animation Wizzes at Cartoon Saloon that have given us the secret of the Kells and Song of the Sea. This again taps into Irish folklore like those films with a story of the English occupation of Ireland and an evil Lord Protector voiced by Simon McBurney. Evil functionaries in films are always voiced or played by Simon McBurney. He wants to tame the Irish and quash their rebellions and tame the countryside by ridding it of the wood in the forests and the wolves who live in it and terrorise the sheep and prevent the land being cultivated. But in the woods lurk the spirits of the wolf walkers who command these beasts. They're sort of humans by day and wolves by night. And one of them is called Maeve. Uh, she's a little wild girl and she befriends a young English girl called Robin whose father is a hunter voiced by Sean Bean uh, who's been hired to trap the wolves. Wolf, wolf. Hunting far and yonder. The forest is brimming with wolves. It's my job to hunt them down, not yours. But we could hunt them together. Wolves, bears, dragons even. <laughs> There's all sorts of magic and very exciting adventure that ensues in Wolfwalkers, all in that very graphic style of Celtic legend. It's got perfect storytelling pace. It's excellent stuff. My youngest son, Sevi, he's nine. At the end of it, he got up and said, can we clap? And he did, and he clapped the film and said it was absolutely brilliant. And he's totally right. Sevi always is. So that's Wolf Walkers, definitely to be found as a family treat in cinemas if you can. And it will be on Apple TV, I think, next month. Talking of which, if you'd like to celebrate Halloween as a family, I have a little trick-or-treat gift for you. It's a collection of thrilling adventures, it's called, comprising the very funny Megamind, which stars Will Ferrell and Jonah Hill as voices. There's the excellent Peabody and Sherman, which my kids really liked. I liked it too. It's very funny. And the superb Ardman comedy, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, all uh, which features, I think, one of Ray Fiennes' greatest ever performances. And he doesn't mind me telling him that i have told him and he agrees he's terrific in the curse of the were rabbit so to win this dvd collection of thrilling adventures courtesy of universal pictures home entertainment just tell me who did the original voice of wallace in the wallace and gromit films answers to me at saggle s-a-g-l at jasonsolomons.com and you can win this top collection of halloween films so that's the show for this week. Thanks to Johnny Owen for a wonderful Seen Anything Good Lately selection uh, and for his new film, The Three Kings, and particularly for reminding us all to watch Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. 